Hey everybody, welcome back to Mavericks and Misfits. Grateful to be able to speak into your life a little bit today. If you're a first time listener, I especially want to say thank you. I don't know how you found us, but I'm glad that you did. And um, we are kind of a no-nonsense group of people that are just pressing in to know the Lord more and um, trying to kind of cut through the bamboo forest of religion. You know, just trying to get into a clearing where all the stuff that has gotten in the way is just removed. And so when we do that um, over the last couple of years that we've been doing this podcast, um, you know, we end up removing things that have grown up in Christendom that don't have anything to do with Christ. And um, I just kind of approach the life of faith as nothing is immune from being questioned that we've been taught and thank God that most of what I was taught was good. I mean, I I want to go on record saying that most of what I was taught about Jesus Christ, about the word of God, about the kingdom of God, about man's nature, most of it was um, very good and healthy, but some of it wasn't. And some of those things were uh, taught to me by people that were sincere and loving and true believers. They were just wrong on some issues. And so over the years, um, I don't know why the Lord did this, but um, he just kind of, uh, he kind of framed my voice in the kingdom up to be one that says, yeah, but, but what does the Bible say? You know, what does scripture say about that? I hear what you say and I hear what your, you know, people you reference say, but what does the Bible say? And man, that'll get you in a bunch of trouble in a lot of churches. And um, I'm not going to lie to you. I've, I've, um, I've rattled some cages over the years and, um, you know, I don't back down from it and, uh, I'm not out to be an agitator and I hope you aren't either, but frankly, man, the only thing that, that stirs up stuff that has settled is agitation. There's got to be a shaking. And if you know your Bible, you know that God is not in, uh, opposed to shaking things up from time to time. And, uh, the greatest shaking that has ever hit the planet is on its way. And before God shakes the planet, he's shaking the church. And so um, Mavericks and Misfits is about, you know, discovering and staying committed to truth over tradition, uh, revelation over religion, and to press in to know the Lord. Uh, Christianity, I like what Jesus said. Jesus says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. That What a amazing, you know, divine summary statement. Eternal life is knowing God. And so um, to to grow in the wisdom and understanding of the knowledge of God is uh, my quest in life. I want to know him, not just know about him. I want to know him. I want to interact with him. I want to know his heart. I want to know his will. I want to do that, which brings pleasure to my father. And I want to honorably serve King Jesus because in the end, it's not your name. It's not my name. It's not any ministry we built. It's nothing. All of it bows to the son of God. And so I just think it's wise to go ahead and start bowing now, (laughs) bow down everything you are, everything you have, everything you believe, every relationship you're involved in, bow it down to the son of God and say to you, be the glory Jesus. All right. Well, I was just uh, preaching a little bit there, but, um, I want to talk to you today and it may be a smaller segment of you that get this. I think everybody needs to hear what I'm about to share, but some of you are living this right now. And I feel the heart of God um, in what I'm about to share, going after people that are wrestling with um, the feelings that arise when we believe the lie that after failures, God is permanently against us from that point forward. 
That's one of the main tactics of Satan, the accuser, is he accuses God to you. And then as a, you know, a double punch, he accuses you to you. So he accuses you to you and says, you're a terrible failure. You're an awful sinner. You're not real. You're inauthentic. You struggle and nobody else does. You're the worst version of Christian that could ever possibly be. And he just puts that on repeat on the podcast of our mind or on the, you know, MP3 player of our mind. He just puts it on repeat. You're terrible. You've failed. You're nothing. And that's just what he does. Um, and then while he's doing that, you know, there's a harmonizing demon that comes in and sings its part and says, God is done with you. God can't stand you. God is disgusted with you. God is over you. God has moved on. You are on perpetual timeout. He's done working with you. And so you have that nasty minor chord, you know, resonating in your spirit that says you're bad. And because you're bad, God's finished with you. Um, I just want to get bold with you. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible does not teach that for the children of God. The Bible never, ever, ever teaches that God abandons his children when they fail. And sadly, a lot of bad theology teaches exactly that. And the result of that is a lot of people live in a characterization of their relationship with God that is based on fear and performance rather than acceptance and love. And let me go ahead and give the disclaimer. I think if you listen to this podcast frequently, you know that I'm not light on sin. You know, I don't believe in cheap grace. You know that easy believism to me is like a cancer and I try to cut out that tumor anywhere I find it. So I'm not saying that you can, you know, have a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, then live however you want. And God's all happy about it. No, because the Bible does give a counterbalance that God will discipline those who sin. He disciplines his children. If you can sin without d- discipline from God, he, like he doesn't spank you. The reason for that is you're not his child because I mean, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you be without chastisement, you are an illegitimate child, meaning he's not your daddy. And so, um, yeah, God will discipline us, but his heart towards us never changes. His, um, interactions with us will change at times based on what we're doing, but his heart never does. And so the lie of Satan is to get you to the place of despair to where you are convinced that you are so uniquely rotten and have such a, you know, pot-marked history that God has just thrown his omnipotent hands in the air and said, I can't do anything with this girl or with this son. I am done. And he's moved on. And it leaves you feeling cold and isolated and terrified that, um, man, have you done something now that has placed you in a position where God is never going to speak to you again. He's never going to protect you again. He's never going to provide for you again. He's never going to love you again. He's never going to bless you again. Now, for some of you that have never struggled with that, you're hearing that and you're like, nobody thinks that way. And I'm telling you, listen, if you could hear right now, there's a bunch of listeners who are listening right at the same time you are. And they're saying, no, that's exactly the way I feel. And I've battled that my whole Christian life. So I'm going to take you to an obscure passage of scripture. I was uh, looking, I don't even remember how I got in this passage. I think I was reading something that referenced Micah chapter seven. And so I think I just ended up, I was reading a book and there was just a quick reference to Micah chapter seven and Holy Spirit just kind of pinched to my heart and said, don't go any further, go read that. And so I, I got into Micah seven when I got down to verse number seven, uh, I read some words and that's where um, the Holy Spirit said um, that he wanted me 
to minister compassion, grace, and invitation to those who might be serial strugglers, people that just want so badly to get it right and to walk in a higher level of consistency and faithfulness and love towards God, but seem to take two steps forward and one step back. And so, um, you know, while I will never encourage anybody in living a life that is subpar as a Christian, I'll challenge you every day to up your game, so to speak, because he's worthy to get your act together because he's worthy to come out of the world because he's worthy to get filled with the Holy spirit and stay filled because he's worthy. I will always be pressing you toward, um, the more of, uh, what it means to walk with Jesus. But having said that, um, I have deep, deep compassion for people who are in a season where they just can't seem to get on top of things. And so, um, let me, let me read you these verses and, you know, before I do, just I want to set it up like none of us as Jesus followers want to fail. We hate our sins. And when, when we don't see any growth, maybe we see regression instead of progress. We groan when we just don't see that we're going anywhere with the Lord in this season. And so again, that's when the accusations of the enemy Sometimes it's a demon, sometimes it's a human, but you know, accusation comes our way and we draw back because those accusations sometimes contain a grain of spiritual truth. In other words, it's the wrong um, conclusion about how we're struggling, but they get the struggle right. But the, the conclusion from the accusers is that because you're struggling, God is finished, finished with you. So there is a, a place where you can run to ref, for refuge. You, there's a place where you can find the power and overcome because we stand in the grace of God Almighty. That's where we stand. And the Holy Spirit has a relentless commitment to bring us out of our defeats and bring us into greater victories as we pursue Jesus. So I guess what I'm saying is it's so important to remember that the enemy cannot, therefore will not have the final say in your life as a Christian. He doesn't get the last word. God does. And so with that in mind, I want to read to you from Micah 7. And this is written in the context of a season of abject failure for Israel. Israel, ancient Israel was... And you talk about strugglers, they were constantly up and down, in and out, pursuing the Lord, backsliding on the Lord, pursuing the Lord, backsliding on the Lord. And God had to wear them out through military defeats and ultimately sending them into captivity in Babylon for 70 years to break them of their idolatry. But what's interesting is even while he allowed 70 years for them to be in captivity in a foreign land to break them of their pagan idolatry, they had begun to worship other gods and do all the horrible practices that go along with idolatry. And so God said, Hey, look, uh, I'm going to put you in a land that's full of idols. You're going, you're going to be living in a land that's full of idols. And while you're living there, you're going to grow to hate idolatry and you're going to return to me with your whole heart. And so he never quit loving them, even though he disciplined them. Some of you just need to hear that. You may be in a season where God's allowed you to reap what you sow. He did not prevent the consequences for your bad decisions or your failures. But that does not mean he's done with you. It just means that um, he's accompanying you now in the consequences of your poor decisions 
but he's not done with you. He doesn't not love you. He's still as committed today to the blessings and the plans he has for you. Like there's nothing you can do in the flesh that cuts you off permanently from the grace of God. Not if you're in Jesus Christ. So the prophet wrote and he said, as for me, I will look to Yahweh. This is Micah seven, verse seven. As for me, I will look to Yahweh. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And then he starts speaking to his enemy. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord, Yahweh, will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of Yahweh because I've sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see and shame shall cover the one who said to me, where is Yahweh, your God? Oh man, I felt the Lord ministering to me and to some of you just reading the word of God, that quick and powerful double-edged sword of the spirit, the word of God helping us. So what do these verses mean? Well, just recognize that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Micah is speaking truth about the heart of God towards him representing Israel in a time where he couldn't say, God, you, you, I expect your blessing because I've been good. Lord Israel expects you to honor your blessing parts of the covenant because we've really been faithful. They had no leg to stand on. They had not been faithful. And the enemy took up occasion during their being disciplined by God. The enemy takes up occasion to say, ha ha, where's your God now? Oh, the God that you sang about, the God that you love, the God that you say you're in covenant with. I don't see him helping you now. It must be because you, a filthy, terrible sinner, have done something wrong and now he has walked away. That's what the enemy was saying. And so Micah is having to faith his way through his feelings. Did you hear me? You're going to have to faith your way through your feelings sometimes because your feelings often are faulty. They should never be the foundation by which you measure where you stand with God. A thousand things can affect your feelings on any given day. I don't trust my feelings. If my feelings aren't in alignment with the word of God, I tell my feelings to sit down, be quiet and bow to Jesus. I literally do that. I literally have told my feelings, my emotions at times, sit down and shut up. You're not running the show. You know, I, I, I've said this before that in, in the, in the train of your life, um, faith needs to be the engine that drives the, 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 the train of your life your confidence, your trust in what God has said, that needs to be the engine that drives the train and your feelings. They should be the caboose. Don't leave them behind completely, but put them in the back where they belong. Let your faith pull your feelings. Don't let your feelings pull your faith because if your feelings pull your faith, your train's going to derail. So Micah says, I'm going to look to Yahweh. I'm going to look to God. He's the God of my salvation. And then he says, this, my God will hear me. Ooh, come on somebody. I love that. My God's going to hear me. Why? Not because Micah deserves an audience with God, not because Israel had earned favor with God. No, um, best we can tell in the book of Micah, it's coming during a time of rebuke. But he says this, yeah, I'm turning to my God in humble contrition and repentance 
And he's the type of father that will hear me when I come to him in humility, honesty, and brokenness. So Micah wasn't saying, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing and God's obligated to listen to me and pretend like nothing has happened. No, Micah is already in a place of contrition on behalf of Israel. And he's saying, oh no, God's going to listen because we're broken now. Some of you may be wrestling against brokenness. You're trying to stay the person that has it all together, even though you know the Lord's hand has disciplined you. And uh, the Lord loves you too much. Like his discipline's merciful. The worst thing that God could do for us if we get out of his will is to let us stay out of his will. The worst thing he could do is not discipline us. Read Romans 1. In Romans 1, you find out what happens when God gives people up to what they want when it's apart from his will. It says he gives them over to a reprobate mind. And at that point, when God no longer draws you or works uh, on your behalf to bring you back to him, you will, you're impossible. You can't come back. And so discipline is God's um, sometimes heavy way of saying, oh, I love you, my child, you're mine, and I can't prosper you in your disobedience. So I, I'm going to allow things to get very difficult for you, but it's not because I'm like furious and mad and flying off the handle. It's because I have to discipline you because you're my child. And you're better than way, the way you're living. You're better than this backsliddenness. You're better. I made you for more than this. And so Micah has hit that place where he says, I'm going to look to the Lord. And I'm going to wait on the God who saves, the God who rescues. And he's going to hear me. And as soon as he gives that bold statement in Micah 7, 7, the next thing he does is turns his attention to the accusing enemy. And he says, you better quit your rejoicing. He says, rejoice not over me, my enemy. Yeah, I have fallen, but I will rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord's going to come as a light to me. He, he literally says to the enemy, I don't have the ability to declare that I haven't fallen. I don't have the ability to declare that I haven't been living in darkness. He actually owns it in the presence of the enemy. Yes, I have fallen. Yes, I chose in my foolishness pathways of darkness. And then he says this, but you better quit your rejoicing because I am not going to live in darkness and I am not going to fall anymore. I have been raised up by God. My God has brought light to my darkness. My God's hand is lifting me back up. You know, the enemy hates that because in those moments, that's where this, the ministry of his accusation is getting destroyed in your life. When God's affirmation of you is stronger than the enemy's accusation of you, you're walking by faith. And again, we're not being light with sin. Like all of this is in the context of you've hit rock bottom. You've reaped what you've sown. You have repented. You've turned to the Lord and you said, God, it may be the hundredth time, but I'm turning to you again. I need your help. I need you to forgive me. Restore the joy of your salvation. And when you turn because you're trusting in grace and not your ability to work off everything you did wrong, that's exhausting. Like that doesn't help because the wages of sin is not working it off. The wages of sin is death. And the only way you can pay for your sin, if you live with that spirit of trying to pay off what you did, the only way you can actually pay for it is to die and pay for it forever. And uh, that's why Jesus came. So you have to militantly say, I have to position myself in grace and stand in grace. 
You have to stand in grace. Your emotions will say, that doesn't feel right because if I'm sorry for my sin, I'm going to work it off. Well, you can't work it off. All you can do is repent, turn to the Lord, come back to him, come out of the darkness, rise up, quit living flat on your face in a place, place and posture that he never intended for you and call on the Lord because uh, Micah said he'd hear you. And then he says this in verse number nine, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. So Micah's saying, yeah, this is the discipline of God on me. I, I have reaped what I've sown. God has resisted me as I ch- chose to live independently of him, as I walked away from him, as I chose darkness over light. Yeah, the Lord has disciplined me. The indignation was there. And the indignation and the discipline was not because God was you know, out of control raging against me. It's because he has to resist that which is meant to harm me. And when I choose or you choose or Micah or Israel chose to embrace something that was harmful, God's going to pry that thing away. And sometimes, man, he'll, he'll slap our hands hard, you know, and this will probably offend some of you, but he'll break your fingers if he has to, to get you to let go of that thing that's hurting you. And so he says, I'm going to bear the indignation of the Lord until, hello, until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Do you get that? That's man. That's a beautiful um, typology of what Jesus did. Jesus pled your cause on the cross. He executed judgment, not against you, but for you. That's the words Micah uses in Micah seven, nine until God pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. Isn't that interesting? Because when we think we're, as Micah has described, sitting in darkness and having fallen, we think God's going to execute judgment on us because that's what the devil's been telling you. You're so terrible. You're the only one. You're a colossal failure. God is mad with you. God will never love you. God's over you. That's the enemy. And then the enemy says, and God's chasing you down to destroy you, to hurt you, to punish you, to rage on you. That's the enemy. The enemy tells you, yes, Christian, God's going to execute judgment on you. Well, guess what? Your judgment, and in the strictest sense of the word, in the fullest sense of the word, your judgment has already been executed, not on you, but for you on Jesus, who bore the wrath on the cross so that the wrath of the father never rested on you. He took the substance of the penalty of your sin in himself so that the shadow of death, the substance of death, Jesus took the shadow of death has passed over you. So God doesn't execute judgment on you. He will exercise discipline to bring you back. But the idea that God has cast you off forever, that he's done with you, that he doesn't love you, that he got so sick of your 834th failure that that was it. He's just moved on. That's a lie. That is a straight up lie of the accuser. And you have to stand in grace to say no until, until he pleads my cause. Calvary was Jesus pleading your cause before the father. Calvary was Jesus taking everything that you deserved in himself. Calvary, the cross, was the Lord releasing everything good in him on your account and taking everything bad on your account and putting it on himself. He pled your cause. I just want to say something very bold here. Before the judgment bar of holy God in heaven, I 
am 100% clean. Why? How can I say such a thing? Because I am in Christ and Christ is my justification. Christ took my judgment. Jesus Christ bore my condemnation, not part of it, all of it. And that is why Ephesians chapter 1 tells me that I am accepted in the beloved. I am complete in Christ. There is therefore no condemnation to me. Now, I'm just going to ask you, do you believe that? Many people want to protest teaching like that because they say, Jeff, if people really believe that, then they're going to go out and recklessly sin. And I have a very easy answer for that. If they're saved, they won't. Because when you recognize how completely justified, pardoned, forgiven, accepted, complete, and beloved you are in Christ, that he has paid the full price for all of your sins, past, present, and future. And by the way, all of your sins when Jesus died on the cross were future, all of them. And so he has paid for all of your sin. And when you realize that it does not, it cannot result in the heart of a Christian. It cannot result with an attitude that says, Hmm, if it's all paid for, then I'm going to live unto sin because it's all paid for. No, God forbid that we would live unto sin because grace is abounded. And anybody that takes the message of grace and chooses to use it as a license of sin has never met Jesus. But those who have met Jesus need to be bold and confident and declare, sometimes verbally, he has pled my cause and he has executed judgment for me. I am accepted in Christ. Then Micah goes on to say, he'll bring me out to the light. I'll look upon his vindication. God has vindicated you before the accusation of the enemy. God says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You can read Zechariah chapter three, where Joshua, the high priest is standing before the holy bar of God and he's covered in soiled garments and, and the, Satan is accusing Joshua, the high priest to God. And God says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan, take off his soiled garments. Speaking of Joshua, the high priest and put on him vestments of pure white and then a clean pure white turban is placed on his head. So in other words, God removes the basis for the accusation and says, you have nothing to say, Satan. I do not hear you. I have pardoned Joshua and I have pardoned the one listening to this podcast. If indeed you are in Christ. So the Lord brings you to the light and the Lord looks upon you and vindicates you. Who's going to argue with God? If God has said you are pardoned, who's going to argue? Are you arguing with him? Are you in some false form of humility, some religious piety, some dare to present yourself as part of the equation by which you are justified before God? Do you dare to do that? Look, even your tears of repentance have to be washed in the blood of Jesus. <laughs> even your confession has to be purged by the blood of the lamb. Like you bring nothing to the salvation equation except the sin that required salvation. That's all you get to bring. And you bring that to Jesus. Jesus does all of the work and he justifies you. You make him the Lord of your life. He vindicates you. And then the last thing that Micah says in verse number 10 of Micah 7, he says, Then my enemy will see and shame will cover the one who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? Oh man, I love that. Like Micah saying, God will not only declare vindication and justification over me, but God will silence the voice of accusation. God will 
so work powerfully, demonstrably, effectively. And what God does will communicate to the enemy, shame on you. That's what he says. My enemy will see and shame will cover. Why? Because the enemy has previously said, where is Yahweh, your God? That's what the enemy does. Hey, Christian, where's your God now that you failed? Hey, Christian, where's your God now that you committed that same sin again? Hey, Christian, what makes you think God's about to put up with you one more day when all you are is a repeated cycle of struggle and failure? And then the Bible says, when a Christian stands, not in what he or she can do or has done, but when a Christian stands in what God has accomplished, then that standing, and by the way, that's a faith stand. That means you tell your feelings, be quiet. I stand on the word of God. And faith says to the enemy, shame on you. You're running your mouth. You're asking me where my God is in the backwash of my failure. My God is right here getting between me and you, you accusing spirit. My God is rebuking you. My God is saying the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed me from all manner of evil. My God is saying to you, you foul spirit of accusation, that your destiny is the lake of fire prepared for the devil and the demons that sided with them. And you accusing spirit, I want you to know, my destiny is in paradise. Not because I'm the best, not because I'm perfect, but because the best and the perfect one died in my place, rose again and made a spectacle over principalities and power powers, disarming them through his resurrection. You know, you got to get back up. I think that's what I'll call this podcast. Get back up. Yep. You blew it. Okay. What are you doing after you're blowing it? Cause that's really a revelation of what you believe about Jesus. What you do after you have failed is a revelation of how much you trust in Jesus. And friend, I'm going to tell you, it's a exhausting, heartbreaking scene when after we fail, we scramble to make it all right. And when we realize we can't make it all right, some Christians drift from God because they listen to the accuser who says God's done with you. Instead of getting back up and saying, Lord, I fell, lift me back up. Lord, I chose darkness, bring me back into the light. Lord, I acted in a way that was inconsistent with who you've made me. Forgive me as I confess and forsake this sin. And I'm asking you, vindicate me against the voice of accusation. God's pleased with faith like that. And I'm going to tell you something. The more you stand in bold faith on that level, the less you will sin. It is the patterns of sinning and then struggling to pay it off through a balanced act of good work. That's what leads you back to your sin because you learn subconsciously in your soul this equation that says, well, I, I'm, I'm prone to do bad. I'm always going to do bad. But when I do bad, I'm going to make it up to God and me and God just get in this barter system. Guys, that is not your portion. Nope. When you sin and you fail, you stand boldly before the throne of grace and you come to find mercy in your time of need. And you say, God, I trust in the blood of the lamb. Forgive me, cleanse me, restore me, and grow me.
And then you live your life as one who's gotten back up. Hope you have been helped today. I hope you'll consider what I say. And I hope that you'll stand with me firm in the glory of Jesus as the only means by which we are made right with God. When you believe that, you'll live that. To the degree that you don't believe it and you think it's on you, you're going to keep struggling. You're going to keep going back to that stuff. Fall face down before the throne of the Lamb of God and say, I have no other hope but you, and my hope in you is sure. We'll talk to you next time on Mavericks and Misfits. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.